strong in churches. <laughs> Love it. All right, well, you'll notice there I put some notes in your bulletin this morning as you were grabbing, um, grabbing it. The, uh, they're the same notes as, I'm going to say that were out there last week. Janet just does her job so well. But uh, she cleaned those uh, notes up that I was going to use. That, no worries. It, uh, I was looking, I was like, man, I could just reuse them. I'm like, no, nope, Janet cleaned. They're gone. They're, all, they're gone. That's a good thing. They're, they're gone. <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, it's all good. I've got to be thinking ahead a little bit. All right, so we are in uh, Acts chapter 1. I'm not sure why that says Luke chapter 1, but um, we're going to Acts chapter 1 this morning. Had the, had the privilege of helping Edward this week frame a barn roof or a pole barn roof, so I had my nail bag on um, a little bit more than usual, but it gives you some time to think, right, as you're reading and having conversations, like even, even singing that song about, you know, every promise from your word. I, we, uh, I had that conversation with Stephen Fowler, Tressa, Brent and Tressa, Stephen, just out getting some manure from them, just talking about life. And I mean, it is the Word of God that gives us our bearing. Like even sometimes, and I, I say the phrase, because when I first came to the area, a lot of people were having their faith shaken. A lot of conversations, like believers that have been believers longer than I've been alive, it's just like, I just don't know anymore. Right? And, and I mean, I'm going to say most of us will get to that place many times in our lives, but, but what doesn't change? It's the Word. It's who God says He is. All right, that's something that we can come back to. It doesn't matter how much we're hurting or confused. Um, you know, I think of, of the addicts that we work with. I think of, I mean, just mental anguish, depression. I mean, everybody needs help in, in some way. Right? But it, it's, it's the Word of God that doesn't change. Because we can come there and just say, this this is my God, this is my Christ, this is, this is the anchor of my faith. So I'm going to pray. Um, I'm going to pray, we'll read the first four verses, I'll give you a little sermonette, and then I'll, I'll see if I can't teach you a few things um, as I wear. I, I, really, I really think, well, I, I don't think I know that preaching without teaching just, just becomes useless. And uh, I'd like to try and learn how to balance both of it, so... Bear with me, and uh, let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that you've placed before us this morning, Lord, just with your word open. And we thank you that uh, we have commentaries, we have people who have studied on before us. We thank you that we have um, Bible colleges and seminaries that just seek, seek to provide us bigger pictures of who you are, solid pictures of, of what you desire from us and clear pictures as to what you've done so that we can come to you. Lord, and I just pray as we open your word that we would have a spirit to learn. Lord, we would have a, an eagerness to seek. And Lord, that we, we realize that our main life goal is knowing you. And that only comes one way. And that's surrendering to your spirit and allowing him to lead us through your word. And Lord, I pray that this would be very, very clear this morning. 
And I pray these things in your name. Amen. So Acts chapter 1 and repetition is, is a key. Luke is writing this from house arrest prison with Paul in Rome. And your Acts chapter 28 would, would give you the environment for that. It must have been pretty interesting. Luke was not a first-hand witness of Christ. Right? He came from Antioch in Syria. So all the information that you're getting in Acts as to who Christ is and Luke, the gospel, he had to interview. And I find it fascinating, the thought of him sitting down with the mother of Jesus and asking her, like, what was that like when the angel Gabriel showed up? Right? Or, or sitting, sitting down with John the Baptist's parents, right? And saying, what, what was that scenario? And I mean, that's your Christmas narrative. He had to get that truth, that uh, information from somewhere. And as the Spirit led him to pen those things, I mean, I don't know. I, I just find that really, really cool. But here in Acts, he connects the two. And if we did not have the book of Acts, we would have no connection from the Old Testament to the Gospels, we would have no connection at all to the epistles of the New Testament. There would be none. It would be like the Gospels, and then all of a sudden we have these weird letters because <laughs> we don't know, you know, the birth of the church in Ephesus from Acts 19, right? We don't know the Philippian jailer story and the start of the Philippian church, right? We don't know those narratives. So that, those are very, very important things to recognize, in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, okay, a writing work, a narrative. Don't think of this as a story. This is a narrative that explains the whole program. We spent some time there. O Theophilus, we're not entirely sure who this man is. Um, he's obviously a believer okay, who, who needs to be instructed in the things that he believes. All right, And as Luke is writing this, do you think he, he realized that it would go down as New Testament scripture at the time? I think he was just writing this earnestly for this man to know what he believes. So he's teaching. Right? Was he a young man, older man? I, I mean, we don't know. Was he, a, was he a ruler in Rome? Was he one of the, the head guys? Was he a financial backer? We don't know. But the book of Acts and the book of Luke is him teaching him what he believes. Um, o Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Now, I'll give you a little warning. That's kind of what I've been chewing on all week through putting strapping and framing rafters and stuff. All that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs or unmistakable proofs as he walked in their midst, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the... What's it say? kingdom of God. And that seems the last chapter of Luke, all through Luke, through Acts, that kingdom of God. And if we don't have that ironed out, that, that kingdom of God is when Christ returns, the nature of his coming is wrath, and he sits on his earthly throne. 
right? We understand from Revelation that's for his thousand years. He brings harmony in it. The Old Testament points towards it. But that was what Jesus was teaching. And that's why I teach what Jesus was teaching. <laughs> it's important. Okay. So let's just come back up to, to verse 1, and I'll give us a little sermonette as, uh, as we go through here. And I say that a little silly. You guys know what it won't be. Um, but the former account I made with Theophilus of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Right? For all our study together, we recognize that when we see the name Jesus, Jehovah saves, and how the, the apostles, how he himself presented himself, it's not just, this is how I do with my ask class, Jesus, right, in your Sunday school. Well, what's the answer? Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, like one of those Bible, right? No, it's not just Jesus. We're talking about Christ, the anointed chosen one who's seated at the right hand of the Father right now with all authority. Paul had seen him. As Luke is writing, Paul is in the same room. Do you think this would be a lightly use of his name? No, I don't think so, right? I mean, this is the Son of Man from Daniel 7. This is the resurrected, glorified King. I mean, the road to Damascus, Paul met him. The apostles, he appeared in the room. They touched his hands and his feet. They put him in a tomb, and he rose again. This isn't just Jesus, okay? This is a title. This, this, this comes with that authority and the seriousness of this. Of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Now the idea of began, right, naturally falls into the place of he passed that baton, didn't he? Right, as he began to do and to teach, he passed that on to the apostles, right? His messengers with full authority passed that on to his apostle ambassadors, and we today are ambassadors, right? We're not apostles. I don't have special supernatural gifts. I wouldn't put God in a box. If he wanted to do something, he could. But I'm an ambassador of Christ. And I am called, just as Jesus began to do and teach, I am called to do what? What's it say? Do and teach. Right? And I think we could say that together. Now, am I called to do and teach because I'm a pastor? It's because I'm a believer in Christ. So naturally, we would pass that. We're all called to do and teach. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't read, so I can't teach. Well, well, that's not what it says there, right? Right? Oh, I, I don't like to study, Pastor. I mean, that's, that's what we pay you for. Well, that's not what it says. Right? If you're a believer in Christ you're following Christ's example, you are called to do and teach. Now, are we all called to stand up at a pulpit and preach and teach? Oh, I, I wouldn't go that far, right? But are we called to teach in our homes? Of course. I think the beginning of any discipleship is parenting. And unfortunately, they're the way the things have gone in culture, and, and I don't think anybody's really innocent. Now the grandparents are being called upon to do what with their grandkids? Disciple and teach. Right? We're all called to be teachers. And, and, and for some reason, somewhere along the lines, 
the church, Christianity, gave itself permission to not seek and study and serve. We got hung up on the serving part, but oh no, I don't study. No, I'm not interested. That, that's not, well then what are you discipling from? What are you parenting from? If you're not reading and, and, and learning and, and knowing that, okay, what Jesus began, this is what I have to, this is my life purpose of passing on. If you are not in the word of God, what are you doing? Absolutely nothing. You're teaching good things, moral things, which you interact with kids today, and that's changing very quickly. <laughs> I don't even want to put a finger on that. So here we have Jesus began to both do and teach, and we acknowledge our responsibility in that. I'm going to ask the question this morning, and I mean, I talk with a lot of people throughout the week, people struggling, and one of the first things that they always ask me, what do I do? Right? I mean, we're, we're, we'll sit in the church, or I'm on the phone, what do I do, what do I do? And I said, you need to get your Bible. You need to know who it is that is going to fix you. You need to surrender. You need for that victory to come into your life. You need to know your lifeline. Why is it that we so quickly jump to the doing? Because it's easier, right? I can control this. I can be in charge of this. So I'll ask the question, why, just looking at this verse, why did Jesus do? Why did Jesus do miracles? Why did Jesus stop to blind Bartimaeus? Why did he heal the sick? Why did he feed the 5,000 and 4,000? Why did he do it? Because he loved them? That'd be the, you know, pretty, pretty first. But there was a specific reason why he did. Do you remember? When he, Jesus did signs and wonders, miracles, there was a specific purpose, all right? If Jesus had come to heal everyone, everyone would have been healed. But every time he began, he did something, it was always to, and I'll read it from John chapter 5, verse 36. It says, but I have a greater witness than John the Baptist, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works, what Jesus is doing, his ministry, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So whenever Jesus did, it authenticated that he had come in the name of the Father and he was speaking the words of the Father and he was doing the work of the Father. Okay, so his works, whenever he did, it was authenticating what he taught. Well, that kind of changes a little bit as we read this verse, right? This isn't just about the doing, because doing is easier. Whenever Jesus did, it was authenticating what he taught. Doesn't that make sense, though, as we're parenting? Right? It's one thing to, let's say, I almost said it's one thing to yell a verse at a child, right, in the midst of, of, of instruction or what have you, but it's another thing to show them. It's another thing to, as you're explaining why you're doing this, saying, okay, this is what this verse means. Now, I understand how foreign that can be sometimes, even working with Edward a little bit this week. Instead of just cutting that off and nailing it or putting a dry line on and moving on to the next thing, slowing up a little bit, not 
I'm not saying Edward Slow at all. No, no, but, but, but just, just stopping and having a discussion on why we're doing what we're doing. That's the doing and teaching that Luke is talking about. That's, that's all that Jesus began. He was doing. He was authenticating what he was teaching. And we've already established that we're all called to do and teach as ambassadors. Right? And that is, that is the principle that grows out of this. You can't just do without the teaching. And what happens to a Christian home or a church, and I'll keep trying to run with the C's, Christian home, church, community, what happens if it becomes all about just the doing? Right? And we, we, we set this aside, you know, and it's like, oh, we believe, and we love Jesus. We just love Jesus in this place, right? And this is what we do. What happens if it becomes all about the doing? It becomes an empty religion, doesn't it? Right? It becomes just a, a see-through that does not last. And it doesn't get passed on to the next generation. Right? If, if we don't directly, and that's why I, I am kind of hesitant sometimes towards missions trips and ministries that are not emphasizing why we do what we do. Why do we do what we do? Because we're taking the Word of God and we're laying the Gospel out as we do. We're authenticating what we do. And if we don't stop and make sure that that is priority, it becomes empty. It becomes empty. And it happens very, very quickly. I mean, how many Christian organizations, I mean, I think even the Boy Scouts and Girl Guides started out Christian. Right? Alcoholics Anonymous began Christian. Right? All these different things, right? And, and over time where it becomes about doing and the steps and this gets set aside, what happens? It becomes empty. It becomes an empty religion. I had conversations with church leadership over the past couple years, right? Church leadership and other churches there that just want, want to do. They're on fire to do. But the core of why they're doing it, which is this, isn't there. How are we going to incorporate the teaching, the people that are going to be helping in these ministries? How solid are they in their faith? Are they, are they in your Bible studies? Are they in your prayer meetings? Oh, no, we, we don't worry about that. We just want to do. Is that what Jesus' model is here? Doing authenticates what he was teaching. And that is key for any Christian home, any church, any community. What do you get when you don't have any biblical gospel foundations? You get empty religion, empty seats, and broken everything because the Word of God has been set aside. So just, again, that's the sermonette for this morning. We'll take the other notes now. And I hope that quiets our heart to the need to read and study and understand these things. So all that Jesus began to do and teach, this is the resurrected Son of Man, and it says there, until the day that He was taken up. 
Last week we mentioned that if you are sitting with a teen or, or child or, or anyone really, and they're looking for a, a model of what the rapture will look like, a, a proof that, that we have Christ's resurrected promise as the first fruit, it's right here in the text. God raised Jesus up from the grave with a glorified body. Guess what? I placed my faith in him. That is the same way he will raise me up from the rapture, right? The same way, all right? It's right there in the text, there are the promises. But then it follows there, the last part of verse 2, it says, and he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. I don't think I'm the only one that would stop and read that twice, and he through the Holy Spirit. That's interesting. Because we understand the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We understand that Jesus is the Son of God, right? And you can't separate the two, right? They're one. So Luke here has a specific intention here when he says, he, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit gave commandments. And without going too deep, and I've said that a couple times this morning, because people can really start mining these truths. But we are, in the book of Acts, going to see Luke really emphasize the working of the Holy Spirit. And that's something that I'm going to say we're not altogether familiar with, at least in some of our Baptist circles. Right? We very quickly find ourselves a little uncomfortable when we start talking about the moving and the equipping, whoa, 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 moving. I gotta keep my hands down. I don't, I don't want to, you know, worship. I, I don't want to, you know, I, I, what, what's other people going to think, right? Or, or to just make a comment, like, can you sense the Spirit in the room? And I know, I know when God is moving in people's hearts. I know in our Bible studies. I know in worship services. I know you can almost see it on someone's face when they're just, either just just surrendering everything and you can just see them in that place whether it's worship or prayer or what have you and that's okay acts is very very active in pneumatology so i put it in the notes this way know this we are going to study and observe the spirit's interaction with christ's ecclesia or assembly um, during our study together Right? We're going to see that time and time again, the Spirit moving. And does God change? Oh, God doesn't change. Well, that means the Spirit doesn't change. That means that us as God's people ought to take this very, very seriously. And if it seems like our, our Sunday morning services are dead, there's a reason why. If you're in a church and it seems spiritually dead, there is a reason why. And the Bible speaks directly to that. I'm going to say there as we study the Spirit, right, we're going to have to be careful. But I don't want us to be scared of seeing how Christ works and wants to work in our midst. Christ is at the right hand of the Father. My Bible teaches that. His Spirit is working in our midst or desires to work in in our midst that is something that we should be able to identify and participate in why would we be scared of talking about the holy spirit 
Why would we be scared of, of, of looking for how he's working and, and being active? And, and I could tell you testimony after testimony of, of just through the week, different details of saying, oh man, you know, God, you're working there and you're working here. And that is exciting. Why, why would we be scared of that? Some of that, just coming down to verse or point number one there, you see Pentecostalism, the title, three quarters of the way down the page. Some of what we're scared of is because of what Pentecostalism has done. I mean, it's glued our hands down to our sides, right? It's kept our mouths shut, not for tongues, right? But keeps us from singing, keeps us from giving testimony when the Spirit's moving in our hearts, right? It keeps us very, very in, in form, right? And I think we could all acknowledge that. Right? The idea of doing anything that Spirit's leading in or getting up through the service or, or doing anything like that. No, no, we're, that's not, that's not, we can't do that. No, I'm not promoting chaos in our services at all. But as the Spirit moves, we, we recognize that. And that is part of the, the, the worship and part of the learning of the assembly of Christ. Right? It's very, very unique also kind of sad you know one of the newest religions that there are pentecostalism started in 1906 well the newest religion has 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 quenched the spirit in many of our churches that way why else could we could, could we be scared um, biblical ignorance and complacency this one's a little rough, and then again, it's coming right from thoughts on that text. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, the idea of, of people who do not seek Christ in the Word, people who do not study the Scriptures, people who are not serving, they should not be given this power from the Holy Spirit. Right? They don't deserve it. They're not in a place where they can be used. They're in broken fellowship. And that's probably another reason why we don't see the working of the Spirit in many churches today. And then the third point there is sin and broken fellowship. And we've done an extensive study there in John 15, so we won't go too far into that. But that idea of when there's open, blatant sin in your life, your fellowship with Christ is broken. All right? It's not that God can't use you. It's that He doesn't want to. No, I understand. He's God, and I'm not judging there. But Acts 15 talks about if you're not abiding in obedience and fellowship, you are broken, right? And your, your branch is thrown in the fire. Right? That isn't salvation. That's talking about your fellowship and intimacy with God. And my question would be in a church family, how many broken fellowships before the Spirit can't move in that church? before we find Christ knocking at the door of the church, wanting to come in and dine, Revelation 3. And he can't, because there's too much sin. And I don't have an answer for that. But that would, would probably be a good grounds for why we don't talk about the moving of the Holy Spirit today, wouldn't it? Right? We would make excuses. Right? And I understand the church is not made up of perfect people, and I'm not presenting that, but there has to be an understanding that we are learning and seeking and studying and, and examining our hearts so the Spirit can work in our midst. Important? Extremely important. 
So as for these commandments, just turn with me to Luke chapter 24, and uh, I'll close with this. I hope we're grasping how important it is to be coming to the Word. There's no, there's no options for that. The Holy Spirit, through the Messiah King, through King Jesus, gave commands to the apostles, to His chosen ones, His apostle ambassadors. What were these commands? Naturally, there we'll stick with Luke's writing, and you'll find that in Luke 24, 44. Then He said to them, right, Jesus speaking in Luke 24, 44, and I encourage you to just take these home and even just process when you're sharing the gospel, what does that look like? What scriptures are you using? How are you portraying God's plan for man's place in His presence? Is it just one aspect? Are you giving them hope that comes after the cross? Are you being able to answer their questions? It says, Then He, King Jesus, said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses. Again, how much of the New Testament is written? Very little, if any. Law of Moses, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. Good place to start sharing the gospel. Building your faith is from where? That old Bible, the Old Testament, right? And he opened their understanding. Was it spiritual? I think that's definitely an aspect of that. Illumination. The Spirit to their spirit, capital S, small s, the spirit to their spirit through the Word of God. He opened their understanding that they might comp comprehend the Scriptures. Isn't that part of our task as ambassadors too? Right? To do, to teach, to authenticate what we're teaching, to allow the Spirit to work in their lives as we present this, not ideas, not how to love Jesus. Well, this is how I do it. This is what I feel. This is what touches me. No, no, no. That's not how you share the gospel. You've got to establish gospel foundations. Then he said to them, thus it is written. Where? Old Testament. And thus it was necessary for the Christ, the anointed chosen one, to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance, and I'll encourage you to work through that last page of the notes there, um, just so it's not a shock. That repentance, as it's speaking directly following the murder and torture of Christ, there's a generation of Jews that killed God's only son, that needed to repent of what they did, right? Of repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all, what's the word? Nations? Go on the internet and just look up what the Greek is for that, right? Ethnos means nations or Gentiles. He's speaking to the mystery there, to all nations, what we opened our service with, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things, right? You're ambassadors. You've seen them. You've read them. 
You've had a man stand up before you and point them out and explain them. Now it's your responsibility to study them and take them out and do and teach them. Whether it's discipling, parenting, evangelism, maybe we do have more teachers in this room than we know. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. This is me trying to land the plane. We don't do it on our own. That promise is the Holy Spirit. That promise is the comforter. We sang a song about it. That promise is the paraclete. And that paraclete means the power alongside. We don't teach. We don't do on our own. The Spirit is the power alongside. Behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are undued with the power from on high. In close, whether we like it or not, we have a job to do. We're all ambassadors, and to sit back in complacency, and I'll just leave it at that. No desire for the word, no desire to seek or study or read. Guess what? There are repercussions for that. And we see it played out more and more. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask for your help. Lord, you promised and you sent the paraclete. You sent your spirit at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And Lord, I pray, and my prayer this morning is that each one in this room would be touched in a way to think on that. How am I being used? What does, what does my marriage look like? How, how am I planning on parenting? Or how am I parenting? How am I grandparenting? Lord, for, for the doing, authenticating what we're teaching, where does your truth fit into these pictures? Where do these verses, how are they placed before our families? And I pray that you would be, bring a revival. Lord, we know that that's how it starts. And Lord, that we wouldn't try and do these things on our own where we would understand that the assembly is a gathering of your people and it is a family. And I pray that we would take advantage of that. Be with us the rest of the day. Bring us together tonight for tonight's study. And uh, Lord, we thank you for this time. And I pray these things in your name.